Today is part three of our series called Necessary Sins. And what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is that there's some things like murder and rape that everybody just right away says, that's wrong, you should never do it. But there are some things like lying and gossip that people are like, well, yeah, that's probably wrong, but, you know, it's not as wrong as some of those other things. And, you know, society says these are acceptable, even necessary types of sins. But what we've been discovering is that even if society says that something's right, that doesn't mean that God thinks that it's right. And so I've been encouraging you to memorize Psalm 139, chapters, uh, or verse uh, 23 and 24, and really make it a prayer for your life. David, he, he says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Today, I want to talk to you about the quote-unquote necessary sin of lust. And this one's actually sort of near and dear to me. I've shared this with you before, just being honest, that when I became a Christian back in uh, July of 1993, this was the sin that was the hardest one for me to overcome. And I can't say that, you know, you necessarily, uh, that you get over completely. I mean, I still have times I've got to be very, very careful about things. But I know the struggle that, that men are going through. That it's just this, this thing, it's just there, and it's like, man, it's tough. And I want you to notice that I said many of you. I didn't say many of you guys. I said many of you. Did you know that studies have been done recently that show that one out of every six women in the United States is addicted to pornography? One out of six. Now, obviously, the number is much higher for guys. It's about half for guys. But what I wanted you to see here this morning is that this isn't a, a male issue. This is a human issue. And it's really something that hits us at a, a very early age. Did you know that, and other studies have been done, that the number one users of pornography in the United States are 12 to 17-year-olds? So whether you're young or you're old, you're male or you're female, this is a quote-unquote necessary sin that really should concern us. And it should continue to concern us because it just keeps getting worse and worse. And the reason I say that is really two things. Number one, access to pornography is easier than it's ever been. You know, it used to be that you had to walk into a store and have the guts to go up to a counter and buy something. But today, it's just as simple as a click away, whether it be on your computer, your tablet, even your smartphone. Access, never been greater. The, uh, uh, the other thing that we should be concerned about is our society just keeps tolerating greater and greater and greater amounts of just sexualized images. I mean, think about, like, TV shows today and the commercials that you see, the billboards that you see, the books that are being written. Just even as recent as 10 to 15 years ago, people would be like, man, that is shameful. That's just make you blush. And even 10 to 15 years ago, there was things that people were going, man, 10 to 15 years before that. And you see what I'm saying? It just keeps getting to be that our society keeps saying more and more and more is acceptable. But again, just because society says that it's acceptable doesn't mean that we should say that it's accept, uh, acceptable. Now, a lot of people try to justify it, right? And they say, yeah, but murder or, or rape or even lying and gossip, you're actually doing something to somebody else. You're hurting someone else. And they say, lust, it, it's just, you know, it's just, it's an issue, yeah, maybe I have, but I'm not really hurting 
anyone. So what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what I'm about to share here really doesn't apply to you because we can't expect you to follow the standards of Jesus until you actually become a Christian, okay? Now, I hope that you'll learn a lot of stuff and that you'll take what God's Word says seriously, but I'm specifically, I want to talk to you that do call yourselves followers of Jesus here this morning, that you do call yourself a, a Christian. Lust just has to get out of your lifestyle because we've got to take the words of Jesus very seriously. And Jesus even talked about this very thing. So if you're following along in your Bible here this morning, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the outlines there. And, of course, everything is up on the screen and you can get it on your smartphone as well. But Matthew 5, 27, 28, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is equating lust with adultery. He says it's the exact same thing in his mind. Now, let me be very, very clear here this morning. There is a difference between appreciating beauty and lust. Okay? It isn't uncommon for me to say to Lisa, like, man, that's a really good-looking guy right there. Or that's, that's a really pretty girl. That, that's not wrong to appreciate beauty. What lust is is taking that appreciation for beauty to the next level where now all of a sudden you start to think about that beauty or that hot guy, Channing Tatum, in the video that we just saw. And you start having sexual thoughts about that person. Here's what I would do to that person. Here's what I would do with that person. Or I wish that person was mine. That's when you've crossed the line. Billy Graham once said it this way. He said, it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's the second. Now, guys, because we are a little bit more visual nature, this is the one we got to be careful about. Because there's going to be things that, again, just the way our society is, that you're walking around, it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I didn't expect to see that right now. That's not lust. What Billy Graham was saying is, the first look, she comes by you. What gets you in trouble is this. That's when you've crossed the line. That's when it's, it's come into lust. And so, again, we've, we've got to be very, very careful because not only is lust wrong according to Jesus, but then his brother James says it's actually dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. Look at James 1, 14 to 15. James writes this, Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. It went, <coughs> excuse me, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James is saying, look, this is a big deal. You are hurting someone else anytime you lost. And the person that you're hurting is yourself. You're hurting yourself. And he says that, look, lust is going to lead to the death of purity, the death of intimacy, the, 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 uh, the death of trust, and ultimately it leads to spiritual death as well. The little word there that in English here we see as entice, in the original Greek, it's actually the exact same word that's used for baiting a fishing hook. How many of you like to fish? Anybody? Fisher? How many of you ever fish? We don't have a lot of fishers, apparently. How many of you ever fished? Okay. Now, think about what a lure is in a fish's eyes. What does it look like? 
It looks like food. The little fishy is going, I am hungry. I really could eat something right now. Oh, look at that. That's going to satisfy my hunger. Now, you and I know that that lure is just a fake. It's not the real thing. It's a counterfeit. The fish is at least smart enough to go, hmm, not quite sure if I trust this thing, so I'm just going to take a little nibble. If you've ever been fishing, right, you feel that first little little jerk on the line there, that, oh, something, something's hitting the line. And then it comes up, and what's it do? It nibbles again, and nibbles again. Then what does it do? It's like, oh, nothing wrong has happened to me. I'm going to take the full bite. And then it's hooked, and then it's drug away to its death. And see, what James is trying to say here is that it's the exact same way for us. That we see things, or we're reading things, and it looks like the real thing, but it's not. It's counterfeit. And we're like, I don't know if God would really want me to do this, but I'm just going to nibble in just a little bit. And I'm going to nibble in a little bit more, and I'm going to nibble in a little bit more, and all of a sudden you're hooked. You're addicted. Guys, please don't be like a stupid fish and fall for all things plastic. Yeah, some of you got that. Ladies, let me talk to you. Fifty Shades of Grey. It was the big hit here in the last year or so, and the movie's getting ready to come out. Please don't be reading that garbage. You're like, well, that's not hurting anyone. I mean, it's just a book. It's just a, a story. But, ladies, what, what you need to realize is that it's just as bad for you to have that lying around your house. You wouldn't want your, your husband, like, just playboys laying around and porn videos laying around. You'd throw a fit. Well, when you have that laying around, you might as well just have pornography laying there. See, here's, here's the deal with it. Now, from what I understand, the actual Fifty Shades of Grey is very sexualized. But even the romance novels, what are they doing in romance novels? They're giving you a counterfeit of what a male should be. Because all the guys in the romance novels, they're tall, they're dark, they're handsome, they're loving, they're caring, they're gentle, you know, they go out of their way to, to help, you know, their girlfriend or their wife or whatever. Now, should your husband be loving and gentle and all that? Yes, sure he should. But you're getting an idealized view in your mind of what a male should be. And it's just as counterfeit as what the guys are seeing in pictures. Don't get lured in. Don't even take that that first little nibble because you will get hooked. I wanted to talk to you a little bit because a lot of people are like, all right, well, what, what, what's even the process that, that leads up to this? Because nobody sets out to live a life of lust. But yet that's where a lot of people end up at. So I want to talk to you about what actually is happening to you. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is this. You have some sort of exposure to some sort of sexual stimuli. Usually this happens at a very early age. Maybe, you know... A uh, kid in the neighborhood said, let's play doctor. And so you, you start to see things. Uh, maybe you, uh, your mom, 
read the Danielle Steele novels, you know, and she had them laying around the house. And one day you reached down, you picked it up when she wasn't there, and you started reading through it, and you started learning things you didn't even know existed, right? Or guys, maybe your mom drug you along the Victoria's Secret with her, you know, and you're a little boy. And you're going in, and you're going, I'm not sure who Victoria is, but I'd like to figure out what her secret is, because uh, whatever's happening in here, I'm intrigued by the whole thing. Maybe for some of you, you found your dad's or uncle's Playboy out in the, the garage. For some of you, you innocently enough, you, you click a website, and that link led to another link, which led to another link, which led you onto a porn site. Somehow, in some way, at some age, all of us have that sort of first exposure to something sexualized. For me, it was when I was, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years old or so, and my great uncle, he had a satellite dish, and he subscribed to the Playboy channel. And we unexpectedly stopped by the house. And we walk in, and I wasn't quite sure what I was seeing, but I was intrigued. And I, I remember that. That was that exposure. And then later for me, it was uh, an older friend got a, a job at a video and book type of uh, place. And I, I was in the store one day, and his boss wasn't there. And he says to me, look, the boss isn't here. You can take whatever you want. Okay. I'm going to get something I'm not allowed to have. So I'm looking around, and so I get a Playboy magazine, and I walk out. Now, I, I can, uh, yeah, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I, I can visualize that whole scene. And I'm not just talking about what the images that were in the, the magazine itself, but taking it home, and it was like Christmas. And I didn't want to see anything before I should see anything. In other words, I literally went through page by page, one page at a time through the thing. And there was an excitement about it. I'm not just talking about a, a sexual excitement. There was a rush. There was a a euphoria, an excitement about doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And that leads to the second thing there on your outline. After you have some sort of exposure to sexual stimuli, number two, your brain gets chemically altered. Addiction experts have said this, that the most powerful sexual organ that we have is our brain. It's our brain. The reason that I was feeling that rush in that moment, and the reason that you feel a rush about anything in life, good or bad, is when you have that, that rush, you have that excitement, what is happening is your brain is releasing a chemical called dopamine. And it's sending this, this signal out to the rest of your body, and, and that's that euphoria that you're feeling. It's just this rush of, of dopamine that, that's happening. But what's interesting is what your brain does then is it associates everything that's happening in that moment with why you're feeling the rush. And so you like the things that you're seeing, the, the smells that you're smelling, the things that you're hearing, if you're sitting in a certain chair or you're in a certain room or the temperature is a certain way, your brain associates, this is why I'm feeling the rush. And it imprints it. So that in the future what happens is anytime you smell that smell, or 
hear that song or see that image or, you know, the, the temperature or whatever, it brings back memories. And it starts to get that rush. And now you want to keep it going by continuing along with it. Now, for some of you, you may have heard this before. It's called triggers. Any addict has triggers. That there's, there's something, again, a sight, a sound, a smell, a, a taste, a, a, an environment, a particular time of the day that it's a trigger for them that the dopamine starts to rush. And they're like, I've got to continue on with this. And that's why addiction is so hard to get out of because, it's, again, it's as much of a mental thing as it is a, a physical thing that's happening. Again, your brain has gotten chemically altered, which means your thought process has gotten injured and it's gotten damaged. Which leads then to number three. You become confused about what is right and wrong. And this is weird because on one hand you feel this immense pleasure, but on the other hand, you know, for some of you it's because of values that you were taught or maybe, you know, things you learned when you were growing up in church. You also feel an enormous sense of guilt. And so I remember being a teenager and being, you know, addicted to pornography and stuff that there was this one point that was like, this is really cool and exciting. And then there was another part that was like, no, this is bad. I shouldn't be doing it. And it's just you, you wrestle with this and you, and you struggle with it. And again, some of you understand what I'm talking about here today. That you're like, I don't want to be doing this, but yet I, I keep doing it. I, I like it, but yet I know that it's wrong. Now, good news for you here this morning. The Apostle Paul, who other than Jesus was probably the most spiritual man who ever lived, he was wrestling with something. Now, we don't know if it was lost or what it was, but there was something that had a hold of, of Paul like that. And he says this in Romans seven fifteen. I don't understand why I act the way that I do. I don't do what I know is right, and I end up doing all the things that I hate. Again, Paul's dealing with, with issues like you and I do. He's like, man, I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. I have like the split personality type of thing. Things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. This leaves us living in a state of confusion. We feel trapped and we get in this vicious cycle where it's like, God convicts us of it, and we're like, okay, I shouldn't be doing this. And, and so then you stop doing it, but then you, you get lured back in again, and, and you're in it for a while, and then you get convicted again, and then you abstain, and then you get lured right back in. Again, this is a, a problem, and we can't just say, well, that's just the way it's going to be, and I'm just going to get stuck in this, this state of, of confusion and this, this state of not knowing how to get out of it. Because many of you know that this isn't God's standard for me. And, and you understand that the scriptures say that Jesus died to set you free from sin. That you don't have to continue living this way. But yet you feel trapped and you're not sure how to get out of it. So I want to take the remaining amount of our time today to talk to you about a principle. I've actually talked about this in the past that can help you here this morning. Before I get to the principle, let me uh, give you the scripture that it's based off of. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and powerful worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Back in March of 2011, I did an entire three-week series based off of just these two scriptures, or two verses of scripture. It was called Me Trade. And if you aren't here for that, you may want to go back online and listen to it because it's really dealing with some of the stuff that we're talking about. And again, in today's context, we're talking about lust, but really you can apply this for a lot of things that you're struggling with that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And how do I get out of it? Anyway, the the big thought in that particular series was this. If you don't like the outcomes of your life, it's not about going back and changing your decision making. No, it's about going back and changing the thinking which leads to your decision making. In other words, better thinking leads to better decisions, and better decisions lead to better outcomes. And what I talked about in that series, and we'll apply it to today, is if you're addicted to pornography or you're having a real issue with lust, you don't like the outcome of your life right now, it's not just about going back and making a different decision of, well, you know, I think I can, I think I can, or, you know, okay, I'm going to do this and that. No, you've got to go back to the very root of it. What is the thinking that you have that is causing you to make bad decisions? Because if you can change your thinking, it'll change your decision-making. Better decision-making leads then to the better outcomes. Remember, as I said earlier, the root of lust is that our brain has been altered. The the, the chemicals, the the dopamine rush that we're getting is is there, and and our brain literally it's in some ways been wounded. And what Paul is saying here in the Scripture is, you need to renew your mind. That old brain, that old way of thinking, that, that isn't working. And so you literally need to, to get your brain healed, get it renewed. So how do we do that? Well, two things here this morning that will help you to do it. Number one is the word protect. Protect. Just a year or two after Lisa and I got married, it was a hot summer day. And I was uh, working, and Lisa was coming home, and there was a, a door that you had to go through. It was a big wooden door, but it had a, a glass sort of center to it. And it was so hot that the door was basically swollen shut. Lisa was trying to go through it, and she couldn't go through it, and so she kept pushing harder and harder and harder. And what she actually did by pushing harder was it bowed the door, and the glass just exploded. I mean, it just shot out at her shrapnel basically everywhere and there were two huge pieces that like went into the back of her left knee like right where it bends i mean deep and uh <laughs> luckily her, her mom had just uh, dropped her off and so she saw everything that happened and they rush off to the emergency room this again this is right after we got married so we were living in an apartment building the guy downstairs he was always just like high on pot Right. And I get this call at work from him. He's just like, your wife was in an accident. Click. <laughs> That's all he like. You know. He said it very calmly because he was high. But, you know, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I, I didn't exactly obey all the traffic laws on the way home. I go speeding home. Get there, there's blood all over the sidewalk and all over the porch and everything. No Lisa to be found. So I'm like, 
in the car. I figured, you know, go to the hospital. And anyway, this was a pretty major uh, type of thing that happened. And she still has nerve damage to this day uh, because of it. She was laid up for a couple of months. And the doctor kept saying to us over and over and over again, you've got to protect the wound. Because he's like, you've got to keep it you know, dry, you've got to keep it medicated, you've got to keep it wrapped. Whatever you do, make sure you protect that thing because if it gets an infection in there, it's going to get even worse. And see, I want to say the same thing to you that the doctor said to us. Your brain has been wounded by this whole thing that we've been talking about with the lust, and you've got to protect it. You've got to do whatever you can to make sure that it doesn't sustain any more injury. Again, you, your, your brain has left you getting excited about things that you shouldn't, and you're confused why you as a follower of Jesus are, are having that happen. Well, it's because you keep allowing things to come in and, and sort of infect it more and more and more and more. So you've got to protect. You've got to protect. What practically is that going to look like? Well, for some of you, this week you've got to cancel the premium cable channels. There's things that you're seeing that you shouldn't be seeing. And innocently enough, sometimes you're flipping through, and there's something you shouldn't see. You've got to cancel it. Some of you have magazines that you need to cancel. Others of you may need to put filters on your Internet or do what I do. We have a, a thing on ours that's called X3 Watch, and you can get it. This is going to sound like a weird website to go to, but it, it's safe, okay? It's xxxchurch.com, okay? Go to xxxchurch.com, and what it does is you download this thing, and it runs silently behind your, uh, behind your whole computer, and it monitors where you are on the Internet. And you set up uh, you know, two or three accountability partners with an email address. Bill's one of my accountability partners. What do you get, weekly or every other week that the report comes through? Yeah, I think it's every other week is what I got it set up. But anyway, um, he gets a report. Here's where Gilbert's been on the Internet. And accountability. Some of you need that because you're not strong enough by yourself. You, you need somebody else uh, to, to do that for you. Uh, for some of you, you're going to need to get rid of your mobile device. <gasps> I can't get rid of my smartphone. Well, I'd much rather get rid of the smartphone than, you know, keep disobeying Jesus and maybe walk away from him and spend all of eternity in hell. Rather have a little inconvenience now than a lot of inconvenience later. For some of you, you've got to get rid of certain novels that may be lying around your house. For some of you, there's certain places you need to stop going. You're going to the gym and like the woman in the video there, oh, the hot guy or the hot girl or whatever, and, and, and that sort of becomes the motivation for going to the gym isn't to, to stay you know, fit and stuff, but hey, I'm going to get to see that person. You need to stop going there. Do whatever it takes to protect yourself. Again, I don't know what your triggers are, but you do. You know what your triggers are. Get rid of it. Protect yourself. Number two then, not only do we need to protect ourselves, but then we need to pursue. Protect was all about playing defense. Pursue is about playing offense. Now let me illustrate it for you this way. I need everybody to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes right now. Only works if you have your eyes closed. All right, with your eyes closed, whatever you do, do not think about a pink elephant. 
Don't think about big pink elephants. Don't let a pink elephant come into your mind. Whatever you do, no pink elephants. Open your eyes. Tell me what you see. (laughs) Now you see a pink elephant. Why? Well, number one, because there's one on the screen. Number two, because I told you, don't think about a pink elephant. And what I want you to understand here this morning is this. When it comes to your brain, if all you're doing is to protect side and just staying clear of things and going, I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to look at porn, I'm not going to look at porn. If that's all you're doing, guess what you're going to do? You're going to lust and you're going to look at things you shouldn't do or read things you shouldn't be reading. So it can't just be about telling yourself not to do things. You need to take all that stuff out of your mind, but now you need to, Paul says, renew it. And what we're going to do is we're going to put new things in. And what I mean by pursue is this. We're going to pursue Jesus. We're going to try to become like Jesus. We're going to do the things that Jesus did. We're going to say the things that Jesus said. We're going to try to to just become as much like him as possible. We're going to learn to love people, and we're going to learn to to, uh, serve people. And what happens is, as you're pursuing more and more and more and more, Becoming more like him. Now, guess what? You'll start to get the dopamine rush, the euphoria of life, because of the good things that you're doing. Karen and Mike, I know you guys were downtown yesterday and serving people and and giving out clothing and stuff. There was a rush with that, wasn't there? Of this is cool. We're helping people. Well, that that's the the dopamine. And and the more you can do that, and and the more you serve people and help people and just love people, the more now your body starts to associate the euphoria and the rush with good things, not bad things. Paul said it this way, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, I'd say to you, or he said, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. You know, the old saying is true, garbage in, garbage out. If all you're putting into your mind is very lustful things, then guess what? You're going to end up doing things that you shouldn't be doing. But if you keep putting in good things, noble things, right things, pure things, your life is going to change. So again, remember, If you want to change the outcomes of your life, it's not about just making different decisions. You've got to change your thinking. And so that's what I'm saying. Apply this verse to your life. Let this be your thinking in life. Because when this becomes your thinking, better decisions, better outcomes. Paul then goes on in verse 10 and he says, when you start doing this, that's when you're going to live a life of peace. And many of you that came in this morning that you are wrestling with lust in some way, again, you know that it's wrong and you don't have a sense of peace in your life. Paul says, here's how you deal with it. Think about these good things, the right things, the noble things, the pure things, and you'll change. So I want to say to you this morning, you can be set free. Your mind can be healed as you protect and you pursue as you play good defense, and you play good offense as well. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for just, again, the, the wisdom of your word and how much it teaches us and instructs us in the things that you would have us to do. Lord, I realize in a room this size and just even knowing what the national statistics are, even amongst Christians, that um, there are people in this room that are struggling in this area that we talked about today. But, Lord, we know that your word says in Romans 8, chapter 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I pray that anybody that's here, they wouldn't allow Satan to beat them up about what they're struggling with, but yet they wouldn't be content either just to continue to live the life that they're living. That, Lord, they would surrender their lives fully to you now. They would protect themselves by taking practical next steps this week to get rid of anything that may be causing them to stumble. And, Lord, I, I pray that they would pursue you with all their hearts, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength. And, Lord, I just uh, <clears throat> pray that you would put a, a hedge of protection around all of us so that even though the society is throwing more and more and more garbage at us, that we would be able to just protect ourselves uh, from that and, and just be shielded from it. That way we can live to serve you with everything that we have. Lord, if there is anybody here that doesn't yet have a relationship with you, help them to know that forgiveness comes only from you, that we can't be good enough to earn, <coughs> excuse me, to earn our way into heaven, that the only way we can be forgiven is through the shed blood of your son Jesus who died on the cross so that not only our sins could be forgiven and so that we could have eternal life, but that we could have an abundant life right here and right now, that we could have peace in our lives. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know you, I pray that right there in their seat they would just acknowledge their sinfulness to you, ask for your forgiveness, ask for your leadership, and they would surrender their whole lives to you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here in our midst, and thank you for what we've learned so far in this series. And just as we uh, wrap it up next week, just continue to, to change our lives as we are, are praying that God reveal in me anything that is displeasing to you and help me to walk in your path. Jesus, again, thank you for who you are, what you're doing here. I ask all this in your name. Amen.